Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one's clearly Atlanta Falcons backup quarterback Felipe Franks. Get your mind out of the gutter, people. (laughs) Felipe Franks is your third favorite F-word. And I was going to go with filet because Nate... is currently eating in the middle of the show because he did not time the cooking of his steak per- correctly. So he is eating a filet while doing the show. Yep. I feel like that should be like a running gag. Like we should just eat something. Now be, now be very mindful. Although I may not have an echo this week like I had last week because Nate mm. fixed his microphone situation. The microphone does pick up a lot of clinking from his, you know, there, exactly. Some for dishware. Yeah, so the audio is going to be an absolute treat for me to deal with later. So thank you all ahead of time for that. A reminder that today's show and all shows are brought to you by the Genesee Brewing Company. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee Beer, Genesee Light, Cream Ale, and their specialty line with beers like Ruby Red Kolsch, which Nate has in front of him, and Oktoberfest. Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. Now, we're going to mix things up a little a bit. A little flip it out of tad today. Normally, normally, we would go off on this immediate tangent yep, about the greatest food films and whether or not Nate's eating his steak correctly. And mm-hmm. before too long, 20 minutes will have passed. And we would have been getting into the meat, pun intended, of the episode. But we're going to do something a little different tonight. We are going directly to the Genesee Brewing Company hotline because we have our special guest. And oh, what a special guest it is this evening. Joining us here for his Food for Thought debut, Ted Wynn from The Athletic, a all-22 maven and someone who yes. I absolutely want to chat with. So I'm very, very excited. Nate, are you excited? 
Oh yeah, I'm excited. Well, I've talked to Ted before, so I'm I'm happy that this is going to be your first opportunity to do so. I am super excited. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me on and thanks for uh, switching things up. And, you know, before we go off, you know, to the meat of the, the show, as you say, I, I want to see the crust on, on Nate's steak and I want to see the color inside. Okay. So uh, there's the crust. I don't know if you can see the, the crust. It looks good. Okay. So we did it in a cast iron there. Yeah. And it, it looks overcooked, but it's actually perfect. It's kind of hard to see it in the light. Yeah. The lighting here is a little tough. But it's a perfectly cooked medium rare. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Nice. Uh, my I, I will not take any credit for it. Uh, my beautiful girlfriend who's upstairs, uh, she cooks a heck of a, a cast iron uh, filet. So uh, it was just a way thicker than I thought it was when I got it at the store. And it had, a it had to sit in the oven for an extra like seven minutes that I thought it was going to have to. So that's why I'm, I'm eating on the podcast. Otherwise, it feels a little sacrilegious, but um, it is food for thought. So I guess it is a little fitting. If ever there was a podcast or a live show when you can yeah, right. eat in the middle of it, surely this would be the one. Now, this before we one. get into really important things, Ted, I have to ask you. I have to start off with your pizza oven. I need to talk to you about the pizza oven. I, I got to convince my wife that your investment into a pizza oven has been well worth it. And that even in parts of the country where maybe it's not cool to go outside all the time, right? It would still be something that would be worthwhile. Can you give me like a snippet, something I can clip as far as audio that I would then be able to provide to her later to convince her that investing in a pizza oven is really an investment in health? Because as you stated, pizza is actually a health food. It is. If you cook it at home, it's a health food. It's a, it's a thin crust. You know, it's not too, too carby. It's just tomato sauce, which is just crushed up tomatoes. You know, you could put spices or or whatnot in there, and then you you load it up with veggies. It's basically a salad, right? So you know, I, I say you get the uni oven. The uni oven, you know, is about four to six hundred dollars for an oven. It's a little pricey, but you get pizza two days a week at least at, for the you know for the rest of your life. So I think it's a it's a great investment. It pays off. I, I, like the 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 return on investment on that thing for you, I'm sure, was probably like a four or five week turnaround, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. you know, it's for me, for my friends and family, you know, people want to come over, you got pizza parties, it's it's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. That is a good breaking news ticker right there. Yeah. That is that is that is actually a Bruce exclusive right there, Bruce. It's it's just a salad on a bread plate. That's, that's what it is. I love for that. The, for those of you listening at home, I uh took the mean time took the uh, liberty of typing out in all bold letters that Ted has confirmed that pizza is in fact a salad. So before I go off too far on a word salad, I want to dive into what was generally speaking, one of the things that Nate initially wanted to talk to you about. And that was that we're seeing kind of a, a new style of playing defense over the last couple of years in the NFL. And when you have a dynamic passing offense, the next logical thing that you see countered, by defense is, oh, well, you know, he's getting the respect. He's getting the too high, right? This is something mm -hmm. that Bills fans in particular are very used to seeing after the 2021 season. That was a big narrative for the Buffalo Bills fans, media content creators was, oh, okay, Josh Allen's now getting the too high looks. That's the idea. Patrick Mahomes, big thing for him last year was, okay, what are they going to do? They're going to evaluate the screen game. They're going to run. What are they going to do to deal with the fact that they're constantly seeing too highs? And yeah, oh, as you sorry, start to going. see this in the NFL and you say, okay, now offenses are going to have to 
they're going to have to rock their scissors, right? And the scissors, the paper, and, and so on and so forth. And is it really just as simple as we got to run the ball better? Because now you're starting to see a lot of two high teams go, okay, we need to change the math, right? Because we took a guy out of the box now. We need to make sure we have a big two-gapping nose tackle. Someone like Jordan Davis becomes more popular because you need someone to two-gap to deal with the math problems that you created as a defense by going too high. Is it really as simple as just, well, we just got to run the ball better? to counter the, the too high? Or is there something else coming down the pike when it comes to offensive football for teams that have a dynamic quarterback and see those looks? Yeah, I, I think running the football is definitely a factor that, that goes into it because, you know, teams are are starting as too high shells and they're not just playing uh, cover two. You know, they'll play cover three, but they're playing cover three where they rotate and that other safety is not really in the box. You know, he's playing underneath zone, but he's playing really deep. So they're trying to take away those deep passes. And if there's... You can run the ball better or, or more, but that kind of plays into the defense's hands because, you know, when you have a great quarterback like Josh Allen or, or Patrick Mahomes, you know, even if you're running the ball for 4.5 yards a clip, they're, they're okay with it as long as you're not getting explosive passes. So the key is being patient, running the ball, passing the, the ball underneath, taking those, uh, you know, take, get some, getting some yak, just being patient and not trying to just throw into throw deep in those two deep shells and, and causing turnovers which was a big problem for the, the Chiefs and the Bills kind of struggled with it at certain points of the season too. Uh, but they, they dealt with it in different ways. I think the Chiefs went to a more short uh, uh, passing attack and the Bills really started taking off when Josh Allen became a, a runner. And he he was that that runner that was taking advantage of light boxes and um, that really uh, you know hurt defenses. A follow-up on that. So – on the opposite side of that, when you look at defenses and you go, okay, we want to combat quarterbacks by using two highs. Now, you still have to have those safeties who can run the alley, right, and fill, mm-hmm. fill against the run. Does that change the way that NFL teams are going to value safeties? Because I kind of thought it would, and then we ran into the same thing again, over and over again with Kyle Hamilton. So I was like, okay, well, maybe they're not ready for that. I felt like it was in Back to the Future, and I was saying, okay, well, you know, you guys might not be ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Or your kids are going to love Kyle Hamilton. Are they going to start viewing safeties differently now? Yeah, no, I think they are. I think we saw that in this draft. I don't know if safeties are really going to be guys that will be picked in the top 10, but there were three safeties picked in the first round this year, and I think there was only three safeties picked total in the first round in the, in the past three years before that. I might have that number wrong, but it's close to that. So we saw three safeties picked in the first round. So the team... I think teams are valuing safeties more. We saw some big safety contracts uh, this year. So when you know, you have more too high, you're gonna you're gonna have some more you know value placed on getting those guys that could cover tight ends, could cover deep and, and be athletic, but also come up on a run. Sorry, I, I was on mute. I got I got the follow up here. Okay, so Ted, one of the things that I found is an interesting talking point this offseason. You mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Like that's a team that probably started the defensive trend of of really going with that Fangio too high shell. Um, I mean, trying to stop that offense with Tyreek Hill taking the top off the defense, you simply can't dedicate one, you know, full field safety and, and hope that you're going to be able to cover that in the same, just all of that space with how fast and how electric um, that Tyreek Hill is. So remove Tyreek Hill from that equation. Am I to believe? Um, you know, what I believe or what I'm seeing from, you know, Kansas City Chiefs uh, content creators that, you know, the spin here is, well, this is actually an advantageous move for Kansas City. Now defenses aren't going to be able to just bracket coverage, 
you know, play that two deep shell over Tyreek Hill. Now there's more of an emphasis of spreading the ball out with MVS, who's definitely a deep threat in this offense. Um, and then you talk about, can Sky Moore become a, a, a more of a deep threat for this offense? Can they have maybe more versatility? Do you believe that plays in their favor? Um, or do you believe that it's maybe more so a fan base selling itself on the fact that they traded away one of the most dynamic players to ever play the game? Um, I definitely think it will hurt not having a, a blue chip player like Tyreek Hill, you know, one of the fastest guys we've seen on the football field. That, that's going to hurt. But I also see where the Chiefs are coming from, that teams aren't going to stop playing too high against Patrick Mahomes, especially when you do still have speed on a team with MVS. Like you mentioned, McCole Hardman is a guy that could take the top off defenses as well. And last year, Tyreek Hill became more of a, a short passing game receiver where he had to catch passes underneath and try to create yak. So they're, they're betting that uh, d- defense will continue to play too high, and they're betting that they can get guys that, you know, maybe they aren't as good as getting yak a- as Tyreek Hill, but they could also create enough yak to where that offense could still be effective, and they didn't have to give that record-breaking contract uh, to Tyreek Hill. So that's I think that's what they're betting on. They might run the ball more. They have the offensive line for it. I was surprised they didn't do it more last season. So, you know, we might see a bit more of a power running game with them. And if teams do stay in too high, they're betting that the pieces they have can still be uh, guys that get yak, but just at a much cheaper price than with Hill. One of the things that I've seen kicked around when it comes to the potential evolution of the Chiefs offense and other offenses who are trying to deal with this is the screen game. I think they think that if you are sitting in too high, by the time your safeties are able to diagnose and come downhill, your offensive line will be set up. And you have still have a chance for, for big plays. Is this a scenario where someone like Clyde Edwards-Alaire actually does get used in the pass game? Which I think everyone just kind of assumed when he went to the Chiefs that he was going to be a big part of the pass game. and just never really happened. It never really materialized. Is the screen game something that the Bills could look to with James Cook? And the Chiefs could look to with Clyde Edwards-Alaire and go, okay, this is something. Because the Bills have never really had a good screen game under Sean McDermott. It's just never been a thing. It's been all the way since the days of Chan Gailey and Ryan Fitzpatrick and CJ Spiller. The last time the Buffalo Bills had a really good screen game, but with the addition of James Cook and with the departure of Tyreek Hill, it starts to make you wonder if these two franchises can do that. Is the screen game a viable thing? Yeah, I think the screen game is there. There are some advantageous screens you can throw against too high, like some tunnel screens and things like that. But also is very dependent on how good your defensive line is at reading those screens and those linebackers at sniffing them out. Uh, where I think a good receiving running back can play a role in this get too high, uh, and one of the reasons why I think they, you know, the Bills want to draft a guy like James Cook is that you can't isolate linebackers onto running backs and have them run choice routes in space against the defenses that uh, the type of defensive coverages that you see in too high. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that staff, um, the Rams do really well against too high. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see some teams like uh, the Chiefs and the Bills do that. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs obviously have CEH, like you, you mentioned, that's supposed to be a good receiver. We haven't seen really seen that part of his game really unlocked yet. And I think James Cook is going to be really deadly uh, uh, doing that with the Bills. So, Ted, one of the things I wanted to ask you about um, in terms of I think there's a good follow up here to talk about the screen game. And I don't know exactly how much uh, Bill's offense, particularly Brian Dable offense, you've seen. um, But I'm going to assume you being the film guy you are, you've seen enough to make a 
an educated uh, an educated thought on this, but is there a reason in particular that you saw, whether it's scheme-wise, whether it's the way defenses defend Josh Allen, that the Bills struggled so much to incorporate a, a traditional screen game? I mean, really from the time that Josh Allen started in the NFL – uh, with Brian Dable, there really has been an inability to scheme up screens. And I'm wondering, is it scheme or is it the way that Josh Allen is defended by defensive lines across the league and by opposing defenses that makes it really hard to get that conventional running back screen game going? You know, I, I can't say that I've really studied all the screens that the Bills have run and really watched where they are coming. You up wouldn't have to go. You wouldn't have to get too deep. It is it is a very short portfolio of screens yeah. uh, in this Bills offense. But I will say, I, I think there are some coaches that don't put a big enough emphasis on practicing screens because screens are are very you know it's timing based. You know, little you know little movement movements matter when you release matters you know how long you're staying into uh, faking a pass block matters all those things are all timing and you really need to practice it a ton you really need to be good with your landmarks when it comes to the off the lineman coming downfield so it takes a lot of practice and dedication to get your screen game going and if you're not calling a ton of it then you could probably bet that the team isn't really putting an emphasis on practicing those screens so it's just not a huge emphasis in this offense just yet and i've seen it happen with a lot of offenses where it's really, you know, the screen game is not really a part of their offense. And, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's a shame. You know, I, I think that, you know, if, especially when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, who is, you know, getting defenses to drop back deep, you know, you, you got to make that a, a part of your, your offense. It just makes you that much tougher to defend when defenses have to think about those things. I, I sort of say this a lot about whenever I have the opportunity, when people bring me on their podcast to talk about the Bills offense, when people you know, bring me on their show just to, to talk about Josh Allen, what makes Josh Allen so great. And one of the things that I, I kind of keep going back to and what we're talking about here in the screen game can be generalized as layups, right? Like how do you create a layup in an offense? How do you start a game and get your quarterback two, three, four easy completions to sort of get him in rhythm for the rest of the game? Well, that has never really been Brian Dave and Josh Allen's cue. They have sort of been the, the guys that I think have been executing at such a high level at the hardest parts of the field, the deep thirds, the deep middles, the deep outsides, right? Like finding the holes in the, in the cover twos and the cover fours and like where they're trying to win in the passing game or historically where Brian Dable and Josh Allen have been trying to win in the passing game were those really high level, I call it like doctorate level areas of the field where, you know, you start to look at, what you know Miami's going to do in there like that's an offense that's going to be predicated on the layup how do you balance if you're Ken Dorsey right a first-time play caller knowing how well Josh is able to execute the really hard stuff knowing that you know maybe there's an extra two three four hundred yards in Josh Allen's game if they can create some layups in the offense because they just haven't existed um you know I thought in, in the Brian Dable era yeah and you know you got. I think you got to really practice the quick game. I think you have to get ready to uh, be patient and start really focusing on a quick game, uh, focusing focusing on a choice routes and, and you know getting those plays in your offense. Uh, and you know, I, I think um, even uh, Joe Burrow talked about it the other day when he um, when he was getting interviewed. He was talking about how they have to be ready not to have as many explosive plays because they're going to see more too high because of how explosive the passing game really gotten. Uh, at, at the end of the season so I, I think if you're the Bills you, you've seen that and you have to find a way to counter it you know I don't think you want to run Josh Allen as that much especially early on in the season and that was kind of their counter to 
I, I think seeing those type of defenses. Uh, so you have to find other ways and other ways that, you know, it's running straight up, but I don't know if they have that, you know, power offensive line to really do that on a consistent basis. So where I, you know, where I can see them getting better at is at the quick passing game. And like you talk about, you know, getting those true screens in and really um, honing in on them and putting emphasis on them in practice so that you can have that weapon at your disposal uh, when you're in the season. Do you think some of this stuff, some of this schematic stuff is going to start to bleed into positional value? And what I mean by that is, okay, so you mentioned that maybe safeties are on the way up, right? Does this apply to big two-gapping nose tackles? Does it apply to running backs? If the way to break the current trend, right, is to run the ball and the way to counter the break of the current trend is to make sure you have big two gapping defensive linemen. Are we starting to see a cycle here? Like, is there a chance that the running backs don't matter? Don't ever pick take a mm-hmm. running back in the first round people. Are, are they going to come around? Am, am I, I'm, first off, I'm one of those people. Am I going to come around to that? Is that where the cycle of the NFL is going where now we're start going to start to see positional value actually change as a result of the schematic evolution? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if we'll see running back value go back up just because we know that, you know, we can find a, a, a good running back that, you know, as long as we have a good offensive line, you're going to have, you know, if you have a running back that's decent, he could still produce at a level that's cl- not, you know, maybe even if it's not quite there with the elite guys, you could get one that, you know, produce at a good enough level. So I, I really don't think that positional value is going to go up for that position, but as far as two gapping nose tackles, yes, because if you're playing a lot of too high, you're getting that guy outside the box. You're going to need uh, some more defensive linemen that could take up two gaps and allow you to take that guy out of the box. You know, maybe you'll see more positional value for for linebackers to have match up with tight ends or or linebackers to cover more space, uh, that, that sort of deal. So I think the nose tackle, I see uh, safety value going up a little bit, like we talked about, um, and you know, and it's a little off topic but i think you know wide receiver the, the interesting thing coming into the future is how wide receiver is going to be valued because we're seeing so many good wide receiver classes coming up into the league uh i think we're seeing a divide between teams that are willing to pay their top flight yep. receivers and other teams that are saying you know we could find a pretty good receiver in the draft now so we're not going to pay you guys pay this guy top money and the other thing too is our number two receivers, Ted, going to be paid like number one receivers when the when the musical chairs sort of run out on all the top tier receivers. And I'm thinking of Gabe Davis in this conversation, right? Like mm-hmm. a guy that I think is going to be a bona fide number two receiver this year. But the Bills have can uh, they they have Dawson Knox. They've already paid Stephon Diggs. Is there going to be room for this for this team to pay him as a number two receiver, or will he, because of his value in this offense, get paid as a number one elsewhere? I think the value conversation around receivers is is super interesting. But the last thing I wanted to ask you before we we sent you off for the night, Ted, here is I want to get back to the core principle of our podcast, which is food. And our next topic, when you leave and 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 Bruce and I transition into sort of what we're going to do for the rest of the show, is what is your favorite food based film? Um, I've got a great one. I hope you don't steal mine. I'm giving you the opportunity to steal. <laughs> so, uh, what do you got for us? If, uh, if you've got one prepared? Well, I, I, I thought, you know, we're going to do multiple ones. So I, I did three and I think one, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave one. I'm going to leave one out. Cause I think everybody has this on their list of uh, favorite food movies. Uh, so I'll say James and a giant peach is a very underrated food movie, wow. right? Like nobody ever yes. talks about that movie, but I love that movie. I love kid. James and the giant peach, man. Or, that's, yeah. that's hilarious. I didn't and, think of it uh, as a food movie either. 
I mean, it's a big peach floating in the sky. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's a food movie. movie. <laughs> it's a food movie. Yeah, and uh, Jero's Dream of Sushi uh, on Netflix, a documentary on uh, the famous sushi chef in Japan is an awesome documentary. You got to check it out if you haven't seen that yet. I will as a uh, sushi aficionado. I absolutely will. Ted, uh, Bruce and I both absolutely appreciate you being available on your on your Friday evening. Uh, thanks for your time. And, and tell the folks who might be uh, you know listening at home who, who don't know where to find you, where they can find your work uh, and where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you can read me on The Athletic, uh, cover the NFL, and on Twitter, uh, um, you can find me at FB underscore film analysis. Awesome, Ted. We appreciate you, my friend, and uh, enjoy the rest of the your dog days of summer before the new All-22 start rolling out in the next couple of weeks. We appreciate you, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, Ted Nguyen there on our Genesee Brewing Company hotline. Uh, a great guest. If you don't follow him on Twitter, please do. Ted is one of the, the best, the younger and brightest um, of the uh, All-22 film world, so make sure uh, you shoot him a follow. In the event that you thought that Nate and I like couldn't do anything but screw around and talk about food metaphors, I think we showed a lot of our range there, Nate. I gotta be honest, man. I agree. You and I, you and I can go. You know, just you and I can go. Not just you know the you know the spaghetti O's, but also the X's and O's. That's wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I did it. Spaghetti O's and X's and O's. Wow. I did Bruce. the thing. So as a reminder, Classic. Ted came with us on the Genesee Brewing Company hotline. That call was brought to you by, you guessed it, Genesee Brewing Company. Look for Pineapple Kolsch. This one happens to be the Ruby Red. In stores and at bars and restaurants today, Genesee beer brewed for generations. As a reminder. I drank, I drank all the pineapple, so all I got is Ruby Red. I drank all the pineapple. <sighs> Didn't leave any for me. As a reminder that any super chat, Ten dollars or more going to Nate will right. enter you as a hundred percent chance to win a Genesee Brewing Company pint glass. Just make sure you take a screenshot of the super chat here, and also send him at Nate Geary Sports a DM on Twitter with your address, and right. he will send you a Genesee Brewing Company hotline. And I know we've got one guy waiting for his. Uh, if we get one or two tonight, if we don't, regardless, I'm going to send out a group uh, of glasses uh, before uh, mid next week. So uh, if you're still waiting for your glass, I know there was someone that uh, that reached out and ordered two of them. We will be uh, we'll be sending them out next week. Carl, love that from you, my friend. I uh, so I'm out of ruby reds, unfortunately. So I've transitioned into um, uh, there's something here. Um, Bruce called Porch Fest uh, in the Elmwood Village area, and um, what what happened was I had to stop at the Seven Eleven, and I ended up getting these Arnold Palmer spiked lemonades, spiked uh, iced tea lemonade things. Fantastic! Michael Very drinkable. He wasn't able to DM you last week. You closed your DMs because you were getting some hate mail from Dolphins fans for a second. That's right? right. You know what? I'm I'm gonna have to open them back up for this specific reason, which is you know borderline. Not great, but well, we'll, we'll, we're going to make it happen. I'm going to, I'm going to open up them right now. So I apologize for that. 
There you go. Michael, thank you so much, man. Also, Michael sent us another super chat. He gets two. He, you get two, Michael. He gets for two. Sure. Michael gets two. So we were chatting on the greatest food films. He came in strong with James and the Giant Peach. That now, was a really good one. That is not one that was on my radar either. Now this is important. I think we have to define food films real fast. When okay. I say food films, I don't mean films that are about cooking or foods that are about food. What I mean is films where a food or a type of food is an overarching theme or subject of the movie. That would count as a food film. I think I think James and the Giant Peach counts for that. For example, I would like to offer up as a suggestion the opposite film of James and the Just imagine James and the Giant Peach and then take everything about it and make it the complete opposite, but keep it Jim and the film. Small Plum. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of James and the Giant Peach. Yes. It's live yes. action instead of animated. It is not appropriate for children. But no. also, the thing that they're trying to get is White Castle. And I think that it was served as an extremely effective branding tool for White Castle. Indeed. But it doesn't show up in my greatest food film of all time. My favorite food film of all time Okay. Is absolutely going to be boring, and I understand that everyone's going to think it's hokey. It's Ratatouille, and the reason I knew you why were doing Ratatouille. it's I Ratatouille it. is because it talks about the meaning of food. And everyone who mm. you see interviewed, who does food for a living, and they say, "Well, you know, I did it with my grandma, and I did it with my mom," and it's it's the opportunity of humans to create, and it's weird because. We love to create as human beings. We love to create. We create music. We create art. We do all these things. But there's something special about the type of consumption that mm. you get when you make food and then someone else eats it. My wife is always very, very proud when she makes something and I eat it and I go, that was really good. She's like, yeah, you know what? I did that. I did that. I contributed that. I created that. And so this weekend, for example, we're going to have chili. We're having chili this weekend. She's going to make chili on Saturday. We're going to have it on Saturday and Sunday because obviously it's a big old pot of chili. Mm -hmm. And my wife makes a great chili and it's going to be fantastic. And the first time I had her chili, she used a different chili recipe and it just tasted like burning, just straight burning. It was, <laughs> it was, I thought I was going to die. It was like literally trying to consume napalm. And ever since mm. then, she decided she was going to fiddle around with some some chili recipes and she found one that we we will never deviate from now she will make this chili recipe for the rest of our lives and at some point she will pass this down to our nieces or nephews or someone and that will be meaningful and they will remember this as auntie mrs nolan auntie mrs nolan's chili recipe and so that's the thing that makes food special and that's one of the reasons why we can all talk about food everyone nobody out there goes i don't really eat food i don't really care there's plenty of people who say, I don't really listen to music or I don't really care about art or any of that stuff. Everybody cares about food. Everybody. Everybody does. That's right. And so it becomes this great connector between people. And Ratatouille, I think, does a really good job when the food critic at the very end eats the Ratatouille. And he's transported back to the way he was when he was a child because these things trigger specific memories. And food right. is something that is art and it's science and it's magnificent. And because of that, I think that that movie does a great job of capturing all of it. So it's my turn. <clears throat> yep. 
I had a couple of options here. Um, there was a couple of like funny food related movies. Waiting is the one that I'm thinking of, you know, where they so spit good. people's food. Really good so movie, good. but I, I really struggled as to whether or not that's a true food movie. It's filmed in a setting in which food is made, but is food one of the primary, I, I mean, yes and no, right, in that movie, but ultimately, Bruce, I got to what I believe to be one of the films that shaped a lot of my childhood in terms of quoting movies, right? Like, that's kind of still my thing. I still love quoting movies. There are movies that are abundantly quotable, I, I, and, I'll, and I'll say this in, like, The Other Guys, right? Kind of a lesser-known movie, but easily the most quotable movie ever made. Step Brothers, very quotable. Tommy Boy, very quotable. And let me bring up my choice for food-related films. My favorite, Good Burger. Because... Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger, Can I Take Your Order, is ingrained in the back of my mind forever. Um, you know, Keenan and Kel was a show of mine growing up on Nickelodeon. And I'm going to age oh you gosh. out a little bit of the, on this, Bruce. Oh, my um, gosh. But uh, Nickelodeon, uh, you know, Teen Nick was a big thing for me growing up. Um, and Good Burger is one of the best, one of the best movies from, like, the Nickelodeon era. Um, it had all of the, the the Nickelodeon cast of characters on the movie. Um, and one of the lessons from the movie is, I think, really, I think, very prevalent to today, which is bigger is not always better, right? Like, and and for a long time, fast food and America turned into like, you know, uh, Super Size Me was another movie that I thought about throwing in here. Um, great, great, another great movie. Um, so thinking about like the era of like, the mid 2000s where you know mcdonald's and all these wendy's and, and arby's all had these disgustingly large sodas right um and the burgers that were just absurdly large a triple quarter pounder who in god's name needs a triple quarter pounder and my that, that's three quarter pound of of, of, gr of ground beef ground beef so i, I think a triple quarter pounder I know that you did. I didn't I didn't have to ask you and you didn't have to tell me for me to know that you would have had a triple quarter pounder. You know what? The thing I actually appreciate, can we talk about this for a second? McDonald's, they've actually decided to go to a more they have I, I, when was the last time you've been at McDonald's? I went to McDonald's literally this morning. My <laughs> wife, my wife was on her way back from the grocery store and picked up sausage McMuffin for me. Oh, sausage and egg or sausage? Just sausage. Just sausage. Okay, that's fine. Sausage so, I did you know this about me that my first job was McDonald's on the grill? I did. I did so know that about you. I uh, on the weekends I tended to work in the morning, so I did a lot of breakfast here shifts. The sausage, egg, and cheese um, McMuffin really is one of the finest fast food breakfast items you can get. It, it is as good as it gets. Um, but the quarter pounder is now made fresh, which is kind of a game changer for McDonald's. So you, if you order a quarter pounder, you can expect to them. They're going to ask you to pull up into the, into the parking spot, right? They're going to run the food out to you so that you don't hold everybody else up. But there is something special about a freshly cooked cause it's greasy and it's drippy how a burger should be. Where like when you get a quarter pounder and it's been sitting in the, you know, in the slidey warmer thing for like an hour and a half, it definitely does not hit the same way. The new fresh quarter pounder I do, I do mess with in a big way. I have not had the new QPC. You should. 
I appreciate. I see it. Did you did you work at McDonald's, Bruce? Because QPC is the kind of language only I, McDonald's nice employees try, would know. FBI. <laughs> no, I could tell nice that you worked try. at a McDonald's. There's no nice doubt. Nobody refers to a quarter pounder with cheese as QPC unless you've worked at McDonald's. So I appreciate you. Shorthand matters in the restaurant industry. I will say that. So moving wow. along to the continuation of Nate and I previewing the 2022 Buffalo Bills roster position room by position room using one as a, if it was a food and using another as a food simile. And Mm -hmm. tonight we did quarterbacks and we did wide receivers last week. This week we're doing running backs and offensive line and the appetizer for this evening, which of course now we're, deep into it because mm-hmm. normally this would be before the interview is going to be if the bills running back room was a food nate you want to start off i do if the bills running back room was a food it would be undercooked pizza and here's why right so undercooked pizza i'm sure all of us have had our own run-ins with undercooked pizza and i'm not talking about the whole thing is raw i'm not talking about you know, in the middle, that's kind of where I'm talking about. It's concentrated towards the middle of the pizza. Everybody, <clears throat> at least that I know, <clears throat> they a New York style or a Buffalo style, a little bit of flop, right? You do want to see a little bit of flop, but there's nothing worse to me anyways, is an undercooked middle of a pizza. But what this Bill's running back room reminds me and why it reminds me of that undercooked pizza is because, listen, let's let's be honest. Zach, Zach Moss has been underwhelming to start his first two years of his career. I think there was a lot of high expectations for Zach Moss, and they just have not panned out. Devin Singletary, a very definable ceiling, right? Um, it's like Domino's Pizza, right? I'm actually a big fan of Domino's Pizza, so maybe that's a bad uh, comparison. But you know what you're going to get, right? Like, there's no surprises in a Domino's Pizza. You could get Domino's in Birmingham, Alabama, or in Elliott, Maine, and it's going to be the same pizza. And that consistency, knowing what you get, there is a there. there's an enjoyment in that and understanding that, like, hey, if I'm traveling, if I'm going somewhere, I know that I'm going to get the same slice of pizza at Domino's in Maine or in California. And there's a level of respect that I've got to give that. Where James Cook comes into this equation, Bruce, it's like having that undercooked pizza in the middle, but a perfect garlic dusted or or garlic crust that is perfectly done. Because, listen, I mean, I've had plenty of pizzas where it was slightly underdone in the middle, but the crust was perfect. My hope is that James Cook is the garlic crust that 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 sort of changes my mind about this pizza, that that really saves the pizza from being a true disappointment. So for me, Slightly undercooked pizza. That's good. That's Thank a good you. one. Thank you. I um, we're gonna come back to Domino's later, just so you know. I went with it's the same chicken you've been having for a while, but with a new marinade. That's the food. So when I was a bachelor, before I met my wife a long time ago, I may have told this story before. I only had a few things in my house. I had chicken breasts vegetables, muscle milk, bottled water, diet Mountain Dew. Muscle milk? Yeah, muscle milk. The protein shakes. Oh, my God. Diet Mountain Dew, water, barbecue sauce, and tuna. That's it. That's all I had in the entire house. And it made grocery shopping extremely easy. 
But what you got to do is you have to mix up the marinade for the chicken. That's right. So it's the same old chicken you've had every single day because you package it away. Yes, I was one of those guys. I meal prepped on Sunday and packaged all of my containers up. And then every morning I would go in and grab a Tupperware container out of the fridge. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was one of those people. And that checks out. The most on-brand thing I probably ever said. Yep. But you have to mix up the marinade. So the thing that you can do to get excited about what is essentially the same chicken you've had every day for the last month is to try up a new marinade. And this is the same running back room as it's always been. But now we have James Cook. That's right. We have a different marinade. I don't really know it's going to change the meat of the actual running back room, but it might be a little flavorful, might mm. be a little bit more spicy. It might hit a couple notes that it didn't hit before, and that's always fun, but it's still Devin Singletary. It's still Zach Moss. It's still Taiwan Jones with an added uh, little, little something from James Cook. Uh, excuse me. Are, are, Duke are Johnson? Yeah. He um, exists. He does he exist. Exists. Do you think he's going to make this team? No. No. Okay. So no shot. No shot for Duke. Unless he he could beat out Zach Moss. I am not I predicting don't, it. I don't, I don't think they're ready. Yeah, I, you 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 owed me lobster from the last time you predicted something. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm done predicting with Zach Moss. Yeah. But I think I don't think they're ready to give up on Zach Moss yet. I really don't. And so for me, I would agree with you, by the way. I don't I, think they're ready for that. And I I know that Devin Singletary got a significant market share of snaps and carries coming down the stretch last year. But I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be 100 RB1 straight up when it comes to dominating touch counts. And then you're just never going to see Zach Moss and you're very rarely going to see James Cook. I think it's still going to be two, three-headed monster kind of thing. I really do. Um, I think that's probably right. So if that's if the Bills running back room was a food, but... The offensive line matters when it comes to running game. It's not just about the yes, running backs. Does. So the current Bills offensive line group makes me feel like, and I'm going to go first on this one. Love it. Remember how I said I was going to bring back Domino's? I'm bringing back Domino's. You, are you doing it right now? It makes me feel like the current Bills offensive line group makes me feel like I've just had Domino's pizza for the first time since 2007. Why does that matter? Because if you remember correctly, Domino's changed their entire recipe for pizza in 2008. And it matters. And it's better now than it was before. They actually took it up a notch. And this is the best offensive line group that has ever been put in front of Josh Allen. Ever. In his whole life. Mm -hmm. In Wyoming. His entire time with the Buffalo Bills. God forbid it was 2018. Holy mother of Troy. That was terrible. But now... This is the best it's ever been. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. Domino's is still not the best pizza you ever had. No. But it is markedly better than the last time you had it, if the last time you had it was in 2007. So it's the best version of Domino's that's ever been. You could make an argument. It's one of the best versions of fast casual pizza that's ever been. Chain fast mm -hmm. casual pizza. And that if you wanted better you'd have to really start investing significant assets in making it better as far as money goes. You'd have to really start investing a bunch of assets as far as draft capital and free agency dollars if you wanted it to be any better than it is now. So it is simultaneously the best version it's been, but also not 
the best in the league. Right. But if you wanted to take it to that, you'd have to invest assets that I don't know you want to invest, which means that's right where it is. It makes me feel like I've had Domino's pizza for the first time since mm. 2007. How's that for a metaphor? It's that's a great metaphor, Bruce. I've got maybe maybe you'll like this one because what it I, I, ultimately you could you could pick a lot of things for my thought process of why I'm picking this particular food simile. But the Bills offensive line group makes me feel like I'm in front uh, or I'm in the aisle at the supermarket with yogurt. Right. Like I, I like yogurt. I'm not a huge Greek yogurt fan. I like traditional full fat yogurt. But Bruce, here's the thing. When was the last time you've been to the supermarket? I'll uh, see. I went to the supermarket to pick up medicine for my dog. Okay. Uh, two days ago. Are you a yogurt eater? Do you regularly or semi-regularly buy yogurt? I rarely eat yogurt. Um, it's not super rare. I'll, I'll bet you I probably have yogurt twice a year. Okay, that's that's pretty rare. Um, I would actually probably tend to agree with you. I used to eat yogurt more. But the thing that – where I'm getting to in this food simile is the choices, right? And it's funny. In my media literacy in class in college – one of the things about, you know, America, right, was go to any supermarket and go to the toothpaste aisle. Why are there so many toothpastes? It's, it has one singular job. Clean your mouth. Clean your teeth. That is it. Why should I have 75 different kinds of toothpaste? Each brand has like 15 to 20 different kinds of toothpaste. The same can be said about yogurt. And where this ties into the Bills offensive line is, man... They have choices. And are any of them spectacular? Uh, maybe Deion Dawkins, I really like a lot. Spencer Brown could potentially step up and become one of the better young tackles in the league. Mitch Morse, where does yes. he stand in the hierarchy of, of centers in the league? I would say he's a top five center in football. Roger Saffold, a new piece, right? A new addition. Roger Saffold sort of reminds me of the Icelandic yogurt. And if you've never had Icelandic yogurt, it is a little different. It's thicker, but it's really smooth, really creamy. And they don't come in a lot of different flavors. There's only two or three different flavors, but it's new. And when you try it, you're like, oh my God, this is going to be the best yogurt in the world. You're like, okay, that was yogurt. I mean, it just was yogurt. There wasn't anything really spectacular about it. It wasn't better than Yo Play. It wasn't better than the thing down the road. But you know what? At the end of the day, it gets the job done. If I'm in the mood for yogurt, if I'm looking for a quick snack, if I am on a diet and I don't want to eat ice cream. It's a great like late night before dinner or before bed snack, just a quick little small yogurt, right? So for me, a lot of this goes into the variety of it, Bruce. There's just a lot. There's strength in numbers in this Bill's offensive line. They are too deep. I believe their second unit, and I know Russ Tucker tweeted this out, so I'm not recreating the wheel. I'm not making a new idea here. There's a chance the Bill's second unit is as good um, I'm not going to say they're better than other starting units in the league, but they're probably as good um, as other offensive lines that are starting caliber, starting five offensive lines across the league. Um, so a lot of what this Bills team is, is you've got a lot of variety. You've got a lot to choose from. And there's not a huge drop off. If, if, if Quisenberry has to step in for, for Spencer Brown, are we going to love it? No. But is it going to be a noticeably terrible, huge drop off? I mean, probably not. So um, just like the the drop-off between Yo Play and Wegman's Yogurt, 
um, it's very, very rare that people will actually be able to tell the difference. So whenever I hear people say that they have a, 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 a like a preference in yogurt, I just sort of wonder like why? Because you could get the 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 knockoff kind, you could get the Wegmans kind. It's you know forty nine cents a container, and it tastes the same as your high end Icelandic yogurt. And Carl says Icelandic yogurt is so bitter, and I work for a company that sells it. Um, so he'll, he'll tell you, he knows there is a difference in Icelandic yogurt, but, um, yeah, I, I thought I really wanted to go with something that has a lot of variety. I also thought about creating this as like going to a steakhouse, right? Where you have every single kind of cut of meat, right? You've got the ribeye, you've got the porterhouse, you've got the filet, you've got the bone in filet, you've got the bone in ribeye, you've got the tomahawk ribeye, you've got, you know, the, I digress. What I'm saying is a lot of choices, but to me, Bruce, it was hard to make the equation of a lot of choices in beef and particularly steak because I, I view steak at like a very, very high level. And I'm not sure that I actually wanted to compare this Bill's offensive line unit to steak because I'm not sure that they're in that state of mind for me. I'm not sure I would put them on that pedestal like I would a perfectly cooked piece of beef. That's good. I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. Carl says that Nate always finds a way to sneak steak into those. Well, he did just eat one. So that I matters. Did. It was fantastic. Yeah. I have a take in relation to Ross Tucker's statement that the Bills' backups could be as good as some other offensive lines and leagues. I would rather have the Bills' second offensive line unit than the Chicago Bears' starting five. The Chicago Bears' starting five from left to right Larry Borum, Cody Whitehair, Lucas Patrick, Sam Mustafer. Tevin Jenkins, the Bills' second, Tommy Doyle, Greg Van Roten, Greg Mance, Cody Ford, and David Questenberry. I would rather have the Bills' backups than the Bears' starters. That's my that's my take for mm. today. It's definitely better than the Bears' starters, for sure. Carl says, the RB room is like a PB&J. It's rarely anyone's first choice, but good enough to get through the next game. I will say, I think you're underrating PB&J, Carl. There are certain times when my wife feels like she literally cannot live without a PB&J. Like she absolutely has got to have it. It's a little bit like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and the craving that you get where you just have to have the right food. There are certain times when PB&J is absolutely the right food. Okay, well, first of all, grape or strawberry? Uh, either one, but um, for the purpose of this discussion, we will assume grape, but I can, I can uh, absolutely go grape. strawberry. Absolutely. I recently was offered a PBJ sandwich and recently in context within the last two or three months. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll take a PBJ. I'm hungry. I'll eat it. It was on the golf course. Someone was like, hey, I got a PBJ. Awesome. Um, they gave me the PBJ and it was in a brown paper bag. And I stopped him. I said, actually, I'm good. I don't want a paper and jelly. He's like, what do you mean? You're hungry. I mean, don't you want to? I was like, yeah, but like, if it were me, I would have had it in a cooler. Like, I, I don't want warm jelly. Uh -huh. And he gave me this look, like I had said something so controversial that there was a level of trust or respect that he had lost for me. And I don't know where you stand on this, Bruce, but warm jelly or room temperature jelly, I the best part of a PBJ sandwich, it's spreading the room temperature uh, uh, peanut butter and loading concord grape jelly like i want i want there to be like if i take a bite and i tip my sandwich upside down that a little bit of jelly plops out and falls on the plate 
that's the kind of level of jelly I'm looking for in my, my PBJ, but it's gotta be fresh out the refrigerator. I want it at the top. I want it on the top shelf closest to the freezer. Cause I want it borderline frozen. Now this is important. Have we talked about this before? You put peanut butter no. on both, both sides of the bread. No. Put peanut butter on, One the on inside each side so that it doesn't get soggy when you load up on jelly. Um, yeah, but you're using the peanut butter as a barrier to keep I, the bread from getting soggy. I agree with that, but very rarely am I taking a PBJ to go. Like if I'm eating PBJ, it's right there, right then and now. Um, uh, I would agree with you that using it as a barrier is, is true. But like, here's the thing. If I want to take a PBJ with me, I need a cooler because I right. need to keep it cool. Um, so that that's what like to me, PBJ doesn't travel well. The thing that I, that I think I miss the most about high school um, is there was a thing that I used to do in high school. So my, just to paint this picture for you, Bruce, very large high school I went to, Frontier School District, very, very large. We had four elementary schools. I had hundreds of people in my graduating class. So when we were in lunch, we had three separate lunch lines, two for the main course for lunch, whatever the main course was, and a side soup salad snack bar, right? So I oft found myself especially later in the week, there wasn't a great Friday lunch. So almost every Friday I would get the PBJ. The reason I love the PBJ, they were in the cooler. So boom, pull out the PBJ. But here's the best part, Bruce. Triple Decker PBJs. Oh. Texas toast, white bread, nice thick slices, right? Peanut butter, jelly, peanut butter, bread. Peanut butter, jelly, peanut butter, bread. Unbelievably right, now, elite. Now uh deep fry that. Oh, but again, that puts me in a weird place because the jelly, it's just uh, when because when you warm the jelly and the peanut butter, frankly, like somebody uh, a panini, right? You throw a PBJ in a panini maker, that's a mess. The pe the peanut butter just completely deteriorates, it becomes a liquid. And it's not as appetizing to me. Now, peanut butter, warm peanut butter on other things, sure. Um, like, uh, so Carl says, toasted bagel with peanut butter. Yes, absolutely. But I'm not putting the jelly on it. I don't want the jelly warmed up. I, I, there is something that throws the entire experience off when the jelly's warm. Okay. That's fair. We have a, a take here that says that. There it is. <laughs> Nate's good one, good for one bad food ticket episode. Too much jelly ruins the salt to sugar balance. I actually agree with you. I want I want my balance, but also I prefer my PB and J's with crunchy peanut butter. I want I'm, the texture differential. Otherwise, I don't, it becomes too homogenous from a texture standpoint. I don't believe I am not of the mind. I'm not so pushed in either direction. Um if I if I were choosing and I had the choice and in my cupboard I think we do have a chunky and I think we do have a creamy. I th I think I would go creamy. I, I, but that's not to say that if somebody had a chunky, I'd say oh, I'm out. I'm that. I'm, I'm not eating the chunky peanut butter. It. It's just uh, it's fine. Um, I don't have a, a super big preference other than to say if I was given the option of both, I would probably go creamy. We have an email to get to. Yes. Nate. Two in a row. Let's go. So, you did not Andy. tell me the email first, by the way. No. Andy. You never do. No, I don't. I want to want a, a reaction. Andy sent me an email and said, 
Nate, Bruce, I have a question for you. Okay. I'm going to give you a piece of food, and I need you to tell me, number one, if it qualifies as being a condiment. So we're going to define the word condiment. And if so, if this condiment was on a football team, would it be a skill position, a non-skill position, or a specialist? We are going to create a football team over the course of who knows how many episodes that is consistently made up of these things that Andy's going to send us. And he kicked it off with Cholula. The hot sauce. Oh, I've never had hot sauce. Number one, is it a condiment? How are we defining condiment for the purposes of this discussion? Now, I have I have a I have a take and you can cuz you know I'm the definitions guy, right? You are. Yep. My take on a condiment is if you ate it by itself and someone thought you were weird, it's a condiment. If you just pour hot sauce in, it's going to think it's weird. If you just pour ketchup in, mustard, if you're just eating relish out of the jar, people are like, okay, that's a little weird, right? Because it, we know intrinsically it's designed to be put on or in something else. That's what makes it a condiment. So my definition of condiment is if eaten solo, people will go, really? That's weird. Whereas if it's not a condiment, then those rules don't apply. So for me, that's my definition of condiment. How do you feel about our definition of condiment? I like that. Um, and I think that's a good rule of thumb, um, just generally speaking. Mostly because I view it from this perspective. Um, anytime you watch somebody, and I'll take it one step further more specifically. If you were to put it onto a spoon and eat it, and someone looked at you and called you a crazy person, that's like ketchup. If you put ketchup on a spoon, you, you're a, you're a sick, sick person. A sick psychopath. Go. So we've defined condiment. So is Chalula a condiment by this definition? I say yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, if it is a condiment, which it is, and yep. now it's on our football team, is it a skill position? Is it a non-skill position? Or is it a specialist? Now, knowing full well that not all condiments can be specialists, because you might think, well, you know, we'll kind of put the, but everybody on the team is going to be a condiment, which means we have to find a way to separate specialist condiments from non-skill position condiments from skill position condiments. And I have a take on this. Okay. My take is that Cholula is a specialist, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Most people come down to hot sauce. He didn't say hot sauce. Remember, this is important. Mm -hmm. Right. He didn't say hot sauce. He didn't give us the broad category. He gave us a specific type of hot sauce. So now we're getting very, 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 very specific. And there are only specific times when I would ever look for a Cholula over a Frank's Red Hot. My wife could literally chug, probably will, Frank's Red Hot. She is the absolute queen of yeah. I put that bleep on everything. Same. She's that person. If I gave her Cholula... I can imagine a world where she goes, okay, I can imagine that pairing well with certain foods, but it's never going to be my go-to. I'm never going to 
voluntarily decided. Just like you never want to punt. You never mm-hmm. want to kick a field goal. You want to score touchdowns, right? But there are specific times when the, the game might call for something a little different. And that's why I say Cholula is a specialist. Do you have a specific position for it? Yes. Cholula is a field goal kicker, a place kicker. I was going to say long snapper. Really? Okay. So talk to me about long snapper. Okay. So think about it this way. I mean, you can't have a successful kick without a successful long snap, right? So I think about often now I'm going to use Frank's instead of Cholula here, because I, again, I don't know what the flavor profile of it is. I've never had it. Um, And it's because as a Buffalonian, I would have no reason to try another hot sauce. I just like Frank's is so good. Like what's the, what's the point. Right. Um, And I'm thinking about hot sauce in this, in this manner, because a lot of times it makes the bland foods. I'm thinking, you know, rice, I'm thinking chicken sometimes if it's not properly seasoned, which if I I need to digress for a second, because this brings up an important point that I want to say before the show ends. One of the things, and I'm sorry to digress off this, but this this is this just inspired me on something, Bruce. Did you notice that people when they're on diets or their 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 food uh, prep, uh, meal prepping, and they'll post the picture. Oh, look, I'm I'm meal prepping. Ooh, look, chicken with asparagus and rice, right? White rice or brown rice. How come every single time that person tweets out or or posts that picture that they are posting chicken with no seasoning on it? Do they know that seasoning? Like if you're on a diet, you can have, you can have black pepper, you can have, you know, whatever mixture of, you know, garlic powder, onion powder, a little smoked paprika. Like those are things that you can have even if you're on a diet people. Um, Just so you know, like that, I just, I wanted people to know that there is nothing more that makes me mad than to see people post pictures of chicken that is naked and it looks like it's unappetizing. It's chicken. It has no flavor. That's why the hot sauce is so important. So for me, the elevation of the hot sauce, right? Like what it does to a, a bland piece of chicken or, or rice or, you know, something that maybe you want to cover up the flavor of it because you're trying to be kind to your significant other, maybe didn't throw together a good meal or a tasty meal. So with that, I like it's an integral part to bland tasting foods, just like special teams is kind of bland. It's kind of boring. It's the, it's the least exciting part of, the, of a football game, but it's important when during that least exciting part, that the execution of the long snap is there and it has to be perfect. I like that. I went on a lot. I did a lot there. I did a lot. Carl says, what differentiates a condiment and a seasoning or a sauce versus a condiment? Well, a seasoning by definition is dried. Yep. That is the definition. That's the thing that separates it. Condiments are not dried. Seasonings are dried. And he says, what about a sauce versus a condiment? Well, I would say all uh, all sauces are condiments, but not all condiments are sauces. So any sauce would technically be a condiment. I mean, I think that you could make an argument that marinara sauce is a condiment, you know, based on our definition of it, right? Um, Now, obviously, if you get into things that are like chunky meat sauces and things like that, then no, no, I don't think that's the case at all. But I think that the difference that lies between condiment and seasoning comes from the dryness. Every Mm seasoning is dry. Agreed. Condiments are not. Condiments, by definition, are something that expires eventually, right? Yep, uh, right. Salt really, it's got to be really refrigerated in most cases, refrigerated after opening. Yeah. So to me, that's the way, that's the way we're going to look at that. So we have done the Cholula. 
we have- are ready. In the event that Andy were to send us any in the future, we will be ready to build out this team, starting with Cholula. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go with Nate. We're going to finish up this on. evening. Oh, oh, oh. Nate's, Nate is moving his camera. We are going on a journey, ladies and gentlemen. I am becoming seasick. I am becoming motion nauseous. Oh. It is happening. And the cat is making his appearance on Food for Thought live with Bruce Nolan and Nate Geary. And it looks like he's trying to chew on a cord because it's, it's that's what cats do. Oh, he got a spider. Yeah, oh, good for no, him. The, what I wanted to show you is, as you can see right here, there is a backpack. Oh, oh, oh I think you might have found it. I think you might have got it. Uh, but there is no safe backpack in my home. Uh, my cats are are fiends for backpacks. Um, and I wanted to give the people a little bit of a, uh, just a little bit of a preview of what I deal with on a daily basis. You have your doggos. I've got my cats. Uh, and, and it all works the same, right? They, they, they all work the same way. Liam says, this is all very engrossing. Well, that's what we do here on Food for Thought. This has been a very dynamic episode. That's what It always doing. is. We're, we are going to polish it off with winners and losers from As this always. week in the NFL. I'm going to go with losers first. Okay. Like that. And I'm going to go with Sam Darnold. And the reason why Sam Darnold is a loser this week is because I think, I think it might be the end. I think that any chance that Sam Darnold has to potentially be a starting quarterback is starting to go away with the idea that the Panthers are still sniffing around Baker Mayfield to this day. I think Sam Darnold's opportunity, if there was any glimmer of hope that Sam Darnold was going to be a preferred starter in the NFL, I don't know how significant that glimmer was, but I think it's about to be snuffed out. And I think he can see the writing on the wall. So for me, biggest loser of the week, Sam Darnold. Nate, what you got? Uh, my biggest loser this week, Curtis Samuel, uh, all reports out of Washington are that Jahan Dotson has been quote electrifying a guy, um, that I think a lot of people at the time of when he was drafted thought it was a bit of a reach. Um, but it's very apparent that Jahan Dotson has carved himself out a a number two wide receiver role. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know, is Curtis Samuel ever going to be heard from again? Because he didn't play much last year. He's been oft injured, got paid a lot of money. And I'm wondering now, Bruce, is he going to be buried on a depth chart? So uh, for me, biggest loser, Curtis Samuel. Oh, that's good. That's a good Thank you. one. Thank you. That's a really good one. I appreciate okay. it. We're going to go biggest winner this week. Okay. Biggest winner this week, Jerry Judy. The reason why Jerry Judy is the biggest winner is because not only did charges get dropped, against him for any potential issue. But it looked like for a while there, we were like, oh no, Jerry Judy got hurt again in camp. And it's looking like it was a very minor sort of a groin tweak, kind Mm -hmm. of annoyance. They sat him out. He's got a month to recover before training camp. So the idea that we were full hype train on Jerry Judy, right? Because he got Russell Wilson and we're like, okay, finally, he's got good quarterback play. And then all of a sudden in the span of about a week and a half, it was, oh no, breaks on Jerry Judy. And now it's like, okay, all right. Okay. We're back on Jerry Judy now. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's about to be a thing. It should be noted that Nate has Jahan Dotson in dynasty and I have Jerry Judy in dynasty. So this is ironic that we happen. It's to not ironic at all. Winners. It's not, it's not ironic at all. It's, it's not ironic at all. It's not you even, you ironic. even brought up you, you SOB, you brought up to Ted. Uh, who, who did you bring up to Ted? Who was it? Uh, you, you, Clyde you Edwards brought Hunter. up. 
Yes, of course you did. Of course you did. Hashtag C-E-H-S-Z-N, baby. <laughs> Let's go. All right, Let's biggest go. winner. Biggest winner for me, Najee Harris. Um, There's a lot of talk about reducing his snap count this upcoming season. Not his touches, but the amount of snaps that he plays in a given game, keeping him fresh, maybe getting the other running backs in that system some more opportunities to be on the field so that Najee Harris doesn't have to be relied to play literally 100% of the snaps. Week one, his first ever NFL game, he did not leave the field. So for me, that's a big win for him because if he could be fresh, if he can – uh, you know, have a running back, not, maybe not committee, because I believe he is a true workhorse, but something that resembles something more along the lines of a committee, I think it'll only make him better. That's a good one. Thank you. I've had two like good that. ones. Yeah, two you good have. Ones. You absolutely, absolutely did. Okay. okay. Well, look at us. We did it. We did all the thing. Thank you so much to Ted from The Athletic. Ted Wen from The Athletic. Make sure you follow him at FB underscore film analysis on Twitter. Absolutely fantastic film guy. You can learn a lot about the game of football. I've continued to learn a lot about the game of football by following him and reading his stuff on the athletic. Nate, I had a good time tonight. This was a good, this was a good I did time. too. I'm a big fan of Ted's. I was glad to finally get him on. We've been kind of talking about doing it over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm, I'm working on getting uh Friend of the program, CEO of Grills Mafia, Bill's long snapper. We, we talked about long snapping tonight. Uh, Reed Ferguson, he's going to jump on and join us at some point here over the next couple of weeks as well. Talk about his Grills Mafia event, uh, what he's got coming up this upcoming season in terms of stuff for the grill, uh, bi-week fixings. So we're excited to have Reed on. He'll be on uh, at some point over the next couple of weeks as well. Carl says the biggest winner of the week is Bruce versus the Watson Defender on Twitter. Yes, that one. Uh... There's still those. Those still exist. They do. They do still exist. And um, one of them was trying to indicate that there was hypocrisy present because Bill's fans had at one point rooted for a franchise that employed OJ Simpson. And somehow that's a a direct correlation to the situation going on with Deshaun Watson. Therefore, we're all hypocrites. So I, I had to very carefully outline for him what exactly hypocrisy means and how those two things are not logically connected. He did not do super well with it. But you know what? That's okay. Because it's, it's Good Vibes Friday, baby. OJ Simpson's first year in the NFL was 1969. My dad was just born then. My dad was I'm not going to tell you whether or not I was alive in 1969 because FBI, I know you but, are. Bruce. I know you. But are. you're not that old. It's 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 not it's 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 not really an applicable uh, comparison, but no, it's not. But you know what? Sometimes people just need to find what about isms to make themselves feel better. And that has become what a lot of arguing on the Internet has become recently is just what about this and what about that? But we're not we don't argue on the Internet. We would never do that. Not us. Because not us. us. No, no, no. We're just sunshine, butterflies and rainbows. Ladies and gentlemen. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed Ted. Ted was fantastic. He was good. I hope you enjoyed our food metaphors. And most importantly, I hope you didn't leave hungry.